Hello everyone and welcome back to the Football Chuggy Podcast. My name is Thomas Durning and today I'm joined by my co-host Pierce McLaughlin. Hello Pierce. Hello, how are you doing? I'm doing well. On today's podcast, we will be reacting to Manchester City winning the Champions League, discussing the latest news on Celtic's managerial search, previewing this weekend's Scotland match, and at the end of the podcast, Pierce will be giving a rundown of all the latest Asian football news. So coming up next, we will be reacting to Manchester City winning the Champions League. So on Saturday, 10th of June, Manchester City defeated Inter Milan 1-0 to win their first ever Champions League trophy. This also means that Manchester City have won their first ever continental treble and they are the only second English team to ever achieve this. The other team was Manchester United back in 1999. So Pierce, what's your reaction to Manchester City winning the Champions League? Heartbreak, to be honest, because uh, I wanted, I think most football fans wanted uh, Inter Milan to stop the powerhouse that is Manchester City because it seemed to just defeat any side that just comes uh, before them. Um, and I thought for the, way, the way that Man City have been revelled in the recent years and recent times about the fast, fast flow and attacking football, I think you're now seeing a side. And a, a side to Guardiola that he hasn't really shown before. A side that he's quite willing to put a defensive side out in terms of to make sure he doesn't get caught out at the back. But it's virtually just like five defenders and then five attackers. And the five attackers can just roam around in any position and just pick pockets of spaces. Um, and because obviously you've seen that with John Stones getting in the field alongside Rodri. And he's learned from his mistakes in uh, the final against Chelsea a couple of years ago when he, f- he failed to play any holding midfielder. Um, but I thought it's a fantastic achievement to win the table. Like you say, the only second side to do it in England. But the first British side to do it was um, obviously Celtic back in 1967. Um, so it's not exactly an easy achievement to do. Congratulations, Guardiola. Um, fantastic achievement. But I felt as if Inter Milan gave them a good go and they should be uh, should be applauded for their effort and they caused them a, a good few problems, Manchester City, because they didn't have it their own way. But people, I think, before kick-off 3-4 and obviously Gareth Bale said 5-0. Um, so, yeah, no, I thought it was a very good game um, and uh, well done, Manchester City. Yep. Um, just comment on the match, first of all. I mean, I you said about number one. I thought they played really well. A lot of people, including myself, thought that Manchester City could, could run away with it this final. But I thought Inter Milan played. They, they, the, 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 their game plan was really good. You know, defensively, I thought they were brilliant. Um, you know, uh, they surprised me with the fact that, you know, they pressed really high up the pitch, trying to win the ball back. You know, they're really aggressive. Um, you know, for Erling Haaland was kept reasonably quiet the, the full match. Um, so I thought Inter Milan played really well. But on the day, I just think Manchester City had just done enough because I just felt Manchester City had, had more chances in the Milan. Although Inter Milan played well, I just didn't think they created enough. Um, well, apart from uh, they, had, uh, they had a couple of goal chances um, towards the end of the match with 
especially with Lukaku. I mean, I think Ederson's going to go down as an all-time legend with that save he made. I don't know if he knew much about it, but uh, I just think Manchester City on the day had just done enough to 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 go and win the the Champions League. Um, but yeah, what an achievement for them! Um, winning the treble, it was always there. Uh, ever since Manchester City were taken over back in two thousand and eight, it was always their main goal to win the Champions League. It was always Pep Guardiola's legacy at Man City. Can he win the Champions League? And he's done it. Um, and that leads me on to my next question. Obviously, now they have done it. Is this one of the best football sides? You have ever seen? Not the best, one of the best sides of recent times, but I probably wouldn't say it's my best side that I've seen. Um, so I've seen obviously you have to go back to the you go to the Bayern Munich side in 2013. I thought they were outstanding. Robin Rivery um, won the Champions League, won, I think they won uh, the domestic treble in their own country in Germany. Um, you did the Real Madrid side of um, the three P, the three Champions Leagues in a row. And then you probably the arguably probably one of the greatest sides, football sides in recent times was Guardiola's Barcelona from two thousand eight to two thousand eleven. Like not like how many ex professionals say that was the most difficult side to play against? Um, because you're either young Lionel Messi, you the Xavi, and Esther Busquets, and yeah, you two of the all these world class stars, Eto, Henri, and then you pull out the back, and that's so. They're up there. I wouldn't say they're the best, but you, the 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 fact is they're now in that table, and obviously, like you said, they've joined Manchester United and the second English side to do the treble. So that isn't their only honour now. Man, Man United, like they were in that table alone, but Man City are now cementing their side as uh, themselves as a serious top side. Um, and obviously, the fact is to be even in the same question or even the same breath. Some of these legendary sides, um, is, is something but a positive, but I think the one hindrance I would say is probably the way they've done it in terms of the financial, because a lot of these sides that, like we mentioned, they didn't have the financial superpower that Man City have in the current climate, um. So that's probably one thing that you'd probably go against them, but in terms of the way they play and the way they just win games, it's. It's exciting to watch and um, no, they're a fantastic side. Yep. Um I I I I don't think they're my all time favourite side. My my all time favourite team that I've seen, or not favourite, or best team I've ever seen, is that Barcelona team back in twenty twelve especially. Um you know, they they were the first team that really set my eyes on that kind of style of football that's played. You know, I always remember the the, the final at Wembley against Manchester United, you know, that was the game that really, you know, kind of cemented my kind of thought of this is the best team I've ever seen. And I think what was special about that team for me was the fact that a lot of the players came through the academy. Obviously, Messi, their midfield, Xavi, Niesta, Busquets, uh, Puyol, players like that. Um, you know, a lot of the players had come through uh, the academy, which has made it more special. Um, but with this Manchester City team, it does come a close second for me because when I watch them and when I see their team, they just look so complete. Like, there's not any... I, I, I struggle to see a position where I'm thinking that they need to improve. You know, 
defensively, they're just they're rock solid. I mean, they, they hardly concede any goals anymore. I think that was always quite a, an issue with Man City. Although they played really nice football, that they did concede, uh, you know, quite a, quite a few goals. Um, but they just seem now that they're just complete. You know, they've got strength in every position. You know, they've got probably they've got the best strike in the world in Ellen Holland, in my opinion. Um, and yeah, they they just they just seem to they just seem to have everything going for them in that side. But it's it's the way they play as well. It's like. I think on the eye when people watch it, it does, you know, it's not, it's not, it's exciting, but it's not, you know, intense football. You know, they really, you know, sometimes when they keep the ball, it does seem it can get a bit repetitive because they do the same thing over and over and over in terms of like the passing the movement, but they just know how to control games and, um, and my, I don't think for me the best football team I've ever seen. But they definitely are a close second. Um, so, again, I just want to... So, obviously, we're just talking about the best football side we've ever seen. So, I just want to ask you about Pep Guardiola. You know, that's another trebles one. He won one with Barcelona. He's now one with Manchester City. I think you know what question I'm going to answer, ask you. Is Pep Guardiola one of the best coaches of all time? So, again, someone to Man City's up there, but for me, he's not. Um... What he's won at different clubs and different leagues, he's conquered where he's been, but he has been at all the top sides in each country, so that would probably go against him as well. Um, and like I said, probably, probably the greatest for me is probably, probably Jock Steen and Sir Alex. They, they two are probably the greatest because obviously the fact is they won European honours with Scottish sides, which is the, probably one of the most harder things to do. And they've done it with, like you say, someone to what you said with Barcelona. Most academy players, um, and obviously Celtic was all academy players. I'm pretty sure Aberdeen was similar as well. So to do that, and obviously beat Aberdeen beat Real in the uh, European final. Then Sir Alex then went on to do it with Manchester United, on two separate occasions, and in '99 he'd done it with the class in '92. So that was most like academy players and a few players here and there. But but the nucleus of the team was, like you say. All from Carrington, um, and the Barcelona side was like Lamazia. But you look at Man City, like there's probably what one academy player, and it's probably what Phil Foden or Rico Lewis. There's like two players, like it's not really a great look on English football because like most of you, that's the best team in England, and there's like hardly English players in it. It's just a sad indictment of the game. But uh, in terms of the greatest, he's up there. He's definitely up there. Because of what he's won in different countries, but I would probably put the two ahead, and obviously you got you kind of kind of deny the talents as well as a uh, Don Carlo Ancelotti. Um, won it won it as a player of the Champions League. He's won it with AC Milan a few times, with Real Madrid twice. Um, won the Premier League with Chelsea as well, and done done one to I think he won to, uh, an Italian Cup at um, Napoli as well. So. I'd probably say he's my top five. He's definitely my top five. When he says my my top one. Yep. I mean, it's hard to kind of think about these questions because I think in terms of coaches, you can go different go different routes. So I I'd say with Alex Ferguson, I'd say his man management was the best of all time in terms of how he could how he handles players. Um, but I just think with Guardiola, like 
he is one of the best managers of all time, but I think he's the best manager of all time in terms of his legacy, in terms of his style of play. You know, he's I think people will look back on him as as to the fact that how he's changed football in terms of how teams set up now with, you know, inverted fullbacks wanting to play it from the back. Um you know, you see you see you see um coaches now around Europe and around the world all trying to implement they, they all follow Pet Guardiola and how he wants to play. Um so he's definitely left left a legacy there, I think, in terms of style of football. Um because he was probably the first coach I've seen that, you know, implemented this style of football. You know, I think he copied this from Johan Cruyff, but uh, well, we 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 weren't alive back then, but um, I just think in terms of style of football, I think he will go down as the best of all time because I think lots of managers now look to him as you know look to his legacy and look to his way of playing and they want to copy that. Um, I don't know if he ever won the most trophies. Um, you know, I think he's still got a bit to go in terms of Premier League titles. Um, but I, I I do think in terms of style of football, I think he will go down as the best of all time. Just touching on Tom, um, you just mentioned Johan Cruyff. You've obviously probably he's arguably probably one of the greatest managers of all time as well. Just, just forgot about him. Um, but if that is you forget, he's the one that started La Masia, and he's the one that probably brought Guardiola into the the Barcelona team. And he's obviously learned from Cruyff because even you look at um. Like young interviews back when it was like he was at Ajax, and there's a young Eric Ten Hag asking him questions. So these top level managers have learned for Johan Cruyff. He's the one that started this tiki taka because it ultimately started at Ajax back in the seventies when they were all conquering sides. Um, like you say, Ajax was probably one of the one of the top level clubs back in the day, where they used to win just because the way they played the style of football. And obviously he then brought it to Barcelona. And Barcelona are now synonymous with that style of football. And you see the way Guardiola has kind of revolutionised it in the modern era. And you probably say that probably Xavi at Barcelona now is probably going to learn from Guardiola and he's going to try and implement his style. And but I see he's probably the so Guardiola, the highest compliment I can pay him is probably the modern day Johan Cruyff. And he's just a legend of the game that will live, live forever in everybody's hearts for how he played football and how he conducted himself. Yeah, just my last point there, like about bet the best coaches of all time is that I think if you, whenever you leave management, I think if you've left a legacy, I think that just. Kind of says it all, you know. Sarks Ferguson left a legacy. Everybody knows about the hair dryer treatment. I think the, the, the biggest legacy, although man although Manchester United played some amazing football, same Aberdeen with the, the success they had, but I think the best legacy Sarks Ferguson left was how to manage people. I think he was so good at getting the best out of every single player. He was so good at keeping everyone happy and you know getting a hundred percent out of every player and obviously the youth academy as well. Um but I think Pep Guardiola is different in terms of he leaves a legacy of his style of football. I think at the end I think when he eventually leaves football management, I think people will 
well, top back is Pep Guardiola go, oh, that, that everyone copied to Pep Guardiola be. Yeah, I know, I know it started from Johan Cruyff, but, you know, obviously it's a different generation now. And the fact that coaches are looking to, to implement Pep Guardiola style, you know, I think I think he, he deserves a a massive applause for the way he's you know he's um, impacted football. So it is a, it's definitely an interesting debate. So coming up next, we will be discussing the latest on Celtic's managerial search. So the big news coming out of Celtic's search for a new manager is that Brendan Rodgers is a favourite to take over. It's been reported that Celtic Chiefs have flown out to Spain to talk to Rodgers about becoming a new manager. So, Pierce, what is your reaction to this news? And would you be happy to see Brendan Rodgers becoming the new manager and also coming back to manage in the SPFL? Well, I think the candidates that have been mentioned, and obviously there's a shortlist that's been uh, whittled down into three, and it was uh, pretty sure it was the Bodo Glenn manager, um, and then I think it was Daniel Farker and Brendan Rodgers. And all of the three, you probably would go Brendan Rodgers because of how successful he was in his previous stint at Celtic and how successful he was in his early years at Leicester, um, winning the FA Cup, getting him to fifth place in the league. Um, and obviously at Celtic, he won a few trebles and started the, the beginning of the quadruple treble. But he left mid-season and it left a sour taste in the fans' mouths. But I'm pretty sure if he comes back now, I'm pretty sure they'll be more than happy that he's back in Scottish football. And like you say, a name of that stature back in the Scottish game can only benefit the league. And obviously the fact is that now he has... It's, a, it's an exciting job for him as well because the fact is you just basically nearly relegated Leicester and now he's getting a crack at the Champions League with Celtic and we've seen before Ange uh, Postacoglu left Celtic that um, he was promised like, a, a decent sized chunk of money to spend in a summer window and with the nucleus of the squad being as strong as it is you'd expect it would be enough to entice someone like Brendan Rodgers to have a second chance at managing Celtic and um, like you say, like if he leaves another legacy, but in terms of if he leaves on probably his own terms, on like, like you say, Ange done, he left in the summer after the season's done, then I'm pretty sure fans won't would forgive him. Um, but um, I think the fact is that he's he's coming back. It shows it won't be a long term appointment; it's just a stopgap. Because I don't think any manager that manages successfully in Scotland nowadays will stay in Scotland long because of the lure of the English Premier League. We've seen that with, obviously, Ange, Postcoglu, Brendan Rodgers and Steven Gerrard. So if you start doing well and winning trophies, it puts your name back on the market of the top sides in England. And that's what he might be doing. It's most likely he is doing that again, but... If it brings um Celtic success in your future and you see the side that um, Michael Beald's building, so it's gonna be an interesting season and um hopefully it should be announced this uh, this weekend is. Yep, I mean 
I think it's quite obvious now that Brendan Rodgers is a favourite. I think Celtic, the Celtic board have, have come to the conclusion that it's Brendan Rodgers as a top target. Um, uh, I think it's quite, I think it's quite interesting. Uh, it's quite funny because, you know, at the time he left for Celtic fans, you know, everyone was so so disappointed and quite angry the way he left. Um, and now four years on. You know, it does seem to be that the, the majority of fans are would, would be happy to take him back. Um, I don't think this time Ben Rogers, because he is, because he is, he, he's admitted publicly that he is a Celtic fan. He's he's a Celtic fan. So I think if you are a fan of a club you want to manage, you would just jump back into it because you're because of your feelings. But I think this thing for Rogers, I think he has to. He has to take his time with it because I think towards the end of his Celtic managerial career, it did get a bit, um, you know, it, relationships with with Rogers and the board kind of were a bit low um, in terms of like players missing out, in terms of um, missing out on signing targets and not a lot of money to spend. Um, so I think this time for Rogers, if he is going to come back, I think he'll have to, you know, he'll need some priority like promises and priorities in terms of spending money. And as you did say, you know, this time Celtic are in a much, much better position, you know, Champions football, money to spend, you know, they are they just come off a successful season. So I don't know if Rogers, I'm, I'm still not sure if Rogers is going to take the job. I think it, a lot of it at the moment is still just speculation, but it does seem to be that he is a favourite at the moment. Um, I was just going to ask you there about the fans, about the Celtic fans. Do you think they will be happy to see Rodgers come back? I think it would be split, um, but the way to, to get all fans on side is just by winning football matches. And that's just that's just the, the simple answer. Um, so I think most fans would be happy with him because how Cecily was before, but that Rangers side was a different animal. Um, the challenges were different because although, and also Rogers is a Champions League had Champions League experience with Celtic, although it wasn't fantastic, like his record wasn't great. Um, but he, he, this is a time for him to learn. And obviously, it'd be interesting to see if he'll try to continue on from the way Ange Postcoglu had the side or invite just add a few players or will he try to just change the whole system to suit his style of football? Because it is slightly different, but obviously it is attacking football. So it'd be interesting to see. But um, no, I think the fans would be more than happy um, if, he did, if he did come back. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about this. I think fans would be happy to see him come back. But you know, the hundred percent of fans won't be happy. You know, you know, he did leave a sour taste a lot of Celtic fans' mouth in terms of how he left. But I, I was thinking, but with for Brendan Rodgers, you know, this opportunity for him to come back to Celtic, I don't think it would be. He would have thought it'd be this sooner if it did. It'd be this quick if it did happen. This could be a chance for him to right some wrongs, because I think he knows that the timing of last time he left wasn't wasn't good at all. Um, but the opportunity to come back, right some wrongs, you know, put, you know, 
put smiles back on the faces and, you know, let the Celtic fans kind of appreciate more again. That could be a motivation for him to come back. Um, but, you know, it'll be an interesting few days. Let's just say, I think, in terms of the Celtic managerial search, I think by the end of the week, we'll know for certain what's happened. If if it is Rodgers that's the Celtic manager or if it's someone, someone else. But no doubt we'll be talking about it next week in terms of more concrete news as to as to what's going to happen. So coming up next, we will be previewing Scotland's upcoming match. So on Saturday, the 17th of June, Scotland will be playing Norway in, in Oslo. This will be the third match of the Euro qualifying campaign. And Scotland currently sit at the top of the table with six points. And Norway currently sit uh, with one point. So, Pierce, what's your thoughts about Scotland's upcoming Euro match? It's a tough test, um, but I don't think Scotland could be in uh, better form for it. Um, top of the group, six points for two games. Absolutely solid at the back and looking like a really potent attacking side. And um, in the way Steve Clark's got um, Scotland playing, even the players that are on the bench or the players that are in reserves, they all slot in perfectly to the system that he plays. Um, but also I don't think you can have a tougher task playing Norway um, with the likes of Odegaard, Erling Haaland, um, to name a few. So, and also they 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 had a poor start to the campaign, so we're looking to bounce back a win in front of the the home support. But um, Scotland have had big uh, big uh, away results before. Um, so it, it can be done. I think this was the t- this is a tougher one of the two ties of this international break, and I think if Scotland can come out this game unscathed, then I think um the whole Scotland and uh, Steve Clark will be um relatively happy. Yeah, um, you know that's that's a big big game for Scotland. Um, you know, away from home, uh, you know that that. As you said, they're in a great position at the moment. Two wins from two. So they come into this game with, with a lot of confidence. Uh, you know, they've been away to Spain this week for training. Um, so, you know, the squad have been together for for the for the last kind of week or so. So they'll definitely go into this one with confidence. Um, you know, as you said, you know, the team's the, the, the organisations, you know, it's really good. In that Scotland team right now, um, you know, players have had really good seasons, um, so it's going to be interesting to see how the game goes, um, because the biggest the biggest threat Scotland have to deal with is a is Erling Haaland. You know, he's just come off a, he would just he'd be coming at if he plays that as he'd be coming at this game, you know, on a on a major high. So how do Scotland go about stopping? Holland. I think they might have to take a leaf out of a few teams' books from the last couple of games. Obviously, you had um, Inter Milan managed to nullify his threat, and Real Madrid did that as well in the Champions League. Um, and it, it, it wasn't really that existent in the game against Manchester United in the FA Cup final as well. So, big games, he's not really turned up recently, but all season he has bagged goals for fun. He's going for many goals out just now. Um 
because he's got everything in his locker. He's got pace, he's got power, he's got strength, he's good in the air, he's good with both feet. Um, but I think most teams have now kind of sussed that you have to kind of sit deep and don't allow him any sort of space because he will punish you. That's how good he is. Um, so I think teams that he's played recently have been sitting deep, dropping that bit, that bit further back, not giving him let's see, five, ten yards to run into space if he just hits the ball past or you've got people pinging the ball in behind. So that's probably one way to nullify his threat. And another is just hoping that he's still hung over for winning the table at Manchester City. <laughs> just Scotland fans just praying. Um, but um, that, that's, and so I'd probably say that's probably one of the big things that he'll probably be partying with Jack Grealish. Yeah, I was thinking that. I was thinking that. I think Scotland defenders will be just slightly hoping that he's still a little bit hungover from the, you know, the week he's just had in terms of all the celebrating. Um, I think with Ellie Haaland, I think the best way to stop him is if he stops supply of passes going into him. You know, I think he relies on a lot of players giving him the ball and he'll go and finish. Um, so, you know, Norway, I mean, we're talking to Ellen Haaland, but Norway have a lot of other players like Martin Odegaard, for example, who's just come off an absolutely brilliant season. So I think if Scotland stop the supply to Erling Holland in terms of stopping the midfield, I think they've got a really good chance. But they also have to double up on Erling Holland. I think, and deny him any kind of space possible because he's in front of the goal. He's just he's unstoppable. I mean, you know, he'll, he'll half a chance and he'll finish it. So I think the Scotland defenders will be, they'll be, they'll be excited about it. I think it's the biggest challenge in football at the moment. Well, one of the biggest challenges in football coming up against Ellen Holland. So it's an exciting one to go into. And, you know, another thing as well is that Scotland are going into this game not with not as much pressure as Norway. You know, Norway haven't won yet in the campaign. Scotland have won both matches. So although it is a big match for both teams, I'd say Norway have most pressure because if they want, if they have any chance, if they want to get to the Euros, you know, I think this is a bit of a must game, must win game for them. Whereas Scotland, I mean, I'd say it's a must win, but not as a big as a must win for Norway. So they go into the game, I think, with less pressure than Norway. So, no, it'll be interesting. It'll be an interesting game and I'm looking forward to watching it. So, uh, just finally, Pierce, What's your final result? I'm gonna go one 0 I think that's I think Scotland will score. Scotland are just playing with such confidence at the moment. But I just think Ellingham will will end his goal drought, but I think one will be enough. And I think Scotland will nullify. But there's only it only takes them a half a chance to score. And like you said, you touched on the main creator, like you have De Bruyne at Man City, but also as Martin Odegaard at Norway. And like you said, he had an absolutely phenomenal season at Arsenal, so he'll be confident as well. But um, no, I, I do think, for, like you said, you touched on it, it's a must win for Norway. The pressure's all on them. They're on the home soil. Whereas Scotland is just a must not lose. Just keep maintain the unbeaten start um, and then build on it. And is it Georgia next? Yeah, so I think Georgia at, Hats, Georgia at Hamden, you look to take three points there. The pressure would, would then be on Scotland to make sure you get the three points there, and that puts you on 
was that 10 points after four games? I'm pretty sure you'd bite your hand off for that and start any campaign. Yeah, I mean, I was actually thinking the same. I've, I've got a feeling it'll end 1-1, um, a draw. Uh, you know, I think Scotland are more than capable of going there and getting a point. Um, you know, uh, they're capable of scoring goals. Defensively, you know, Scotland used to be a team where they would concede lots and lots of goals and once they conceded one, you know, they conceded two or three a few minutes later, but they're not like that anymore. They've got a real good steal about them. Um, they know how to manage games. So I just think with the the form Scotland are in, you know, I think a draw, I, I've always thought about a draw, and I think if Scotland came out of that with a draw, I think they'd be delighted. I think they'd take it right now. Um, you know, going away to Norway off a draw, I think, in, in the position they're in right now, I think they'd be really happy with that. Um, so, yeah, we're both going to 1-1 draw. So, for the final part of the show, Pierce will now give his Asian football roundup. Yeah, so um, we'll start off with uh, the Japanese league that played on Saturday, the 10th of June, uh, with Joe Kamae Marnos 4, Kamashiro Racial 3, Serios Osaka 2, Vassel Kobe 1, um, Sagan Tusu one, Hakado Consul Sapporo one. Uh, on Sunday, the eleventh of June, with Albrecht Negata one, Kyoto Sanga three, uh, Nagoya Grampus two, Avispa Fukuoka one, Gambo Saka three, FC Tokyo one, Kashiyanters one, Shonan Belmer nil, um, Yokohama FC nil, Urare Diamonds nil, Kawasaki Fintali one, Sanfetchi Roshima nil. Um and it's seen that um Yokama F Marnos have now clawed their way back to the top of the league. Aye, so Kavish uh, F Marnos, who were at one point sitting fourth in the league, have now um back to the summit after a sloppy start to the season. And uh, Kevin Musket's side is now um on back of the summit after winning the league last season. Nagoya Grampus in second on 35 points. And Vassel Kobe have now dropped down to third, having um, led the, the, the table for so long. It's now at the halfway stage in the Japanese league. And down at the bottom of the table, we have um, Kawashia Raso on 12 points and 18th, Shonan Bermel on 17th and 12 points, and um, Yokama FC on 13 points in 16th position. So it's very tight at the bottom and at the top of the table, and it just shows you. Kawashia race all foot the table. Um, they were so close to nicking a point against Yokama F. Marnos, who did, won the game in the 97th minute. So it just shows you how exciting uh, this league is because any side can beat anyone. Uh, moving on to the, the Korean League, the K League 1. So on Saturday, 10th of June, we had uh, Daegu FC 3, Suwon FC 1, Ilsan Hyundai 5, Jeju United 1. Dejan Hara Citizen 1, Guang Jesse 1. I've done a match report on that game. That's up on the Football Trigger website. Um, on Sunday, 11th of June, Gang 1 FC 1, John Bitch Hyundai Motors 2, uh, FC Seoul 1, Pohang Steelers 1, uh, Suwon Samsung Blue wins 0, Inchon United 0. Um, so that leaves it at the top of the table. Ulsan Hyundai, the top of the table, after 18 matches played, 44 points. Um, second position is Boeing Steel's in 31, and in third position, you've got FC Seoul in 29. So, Ilsen Hyundai um, having a phenomenal season, and it looks as if they're well on course to retaining their title. 
Um, 13 points clear at this stage is the t- the season is pretty much a certainty that they'll go on and win the title again. And uh, down at the foot of the table, it's Suwon, Sums of Bloomings, foot of the table, 12, 12 position, 9 points after 18 matches, and you've got Gangwon FC on 12 points in 11th, and then Suwon FC in 10th position on 18 points. The league action uh, recommences on the 24th of June for both J-League and K-League 1. Um, after the national break, an opening game in the K-League 1 is Suwon, Samson Blowings against FC Sewell, which is a 4.30 kickoff. And then the, the J-League, Haikodo, Considol, Sapporo versus Cerezo Osaka, and that's a 2pm kickoff. And uh, some Korean news as well. Um, the K-League All-Star team will play a friendly against Atletico Madrid on the 27th of July at Seoul, Seoul World Cup Stadium. So um some exciting news that um international stars like um Antoine Griezmann will be will be coming to um Seoul to for an exciting summer of uh, preseason friendly. That's all your latest Asian football news. Thank you, Pierce. And thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the Football Chugu podcast. This podcast will be available to listen to on the Football Chugu YouTube channel and also the Football Chugu website. Thanks for listening and see you soon. Bye-bye.